welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the book of the prophet Jeremiah. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA, along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. Jeremiah chapter 11 is where we're going to be reading tonight. But in order to read it, we have to get some background. For those of you keeping score at home, Jeremiah 11 is the beginning of the fourth message so far in the book of Jeremiah. Through these first 10 verses, we've seen three messages, and you can kind of divide them up by the fact that some begin with, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, or phrases like that, which designate the beginning of another message. They were all not one on top of another. There were couple of years that passed over the course of those messages. But chapter 11, this particular message, God is really going to focus in on the covenant and say that the people of Israel and Judah need to pay attention to the covenant. And so commentators have concluded that there is a direct connection between what's being said in Jeremiah 11 and what actually happened in 2 Chronicles 34. Now, in the introduction to the book of Jeremiah, and even in Jeremiah's own words in chapter 1 here, we know that he was prophesying during the time of several kings of Judah, starting with Josiah, and Josiah was a good king. And uh, 2 Chronicles 34 talks about Josiah and what he accomplished. And during the time of some rather errant kings prior to Josiah, the temple had fallen into disrepair. Uh, People really didn't care about the things of God, were breaking his law constantly, chasing after their other gods. And so the upkeep of worship at the temple in Jerusalem was not a priority for the people, and so the temple had fallen into disrepair. And one of the things that Josiah did was spearhead an effort to repair the things that had happened, the fallen things that had happened in the temple there in Jerusalem. In that process of repair, the book of the law was discovered. And again, if we're thinking historically, We here in the 21st century, when I say things like the Bible or I say things like the law of God, we all have access to that. We can go on the Internet. We can pick up our phone and we can find the books of Moses. Uh, That was not the case during the time of Josiah and those early kings. There wasn't a whole lot of writing being done to begin with. And you might remember that when Moses was given the law and the books of Moses were laid up in the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant, Over time, scribes uh, were able to make copies of it, but those copies were not widely distributed. So in the process of fixing the temple back up, they came across a copy of the law of God. And that was such a rare find that they treated it like a treasure that they took to the king. So look what we found. Look at this writing. 
And it was read to the king, and that's when he realized that Judah had not been following the law and started making reforms so that Judah would keep the law. Now, that all took place around 621 B.C., which would have been six years into Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. And so chances are that chapter 11 of Jeremiah here fits into that time frame. The law has been rediscovered. The law has been read to the king, and then the king sees to it that it is read to the leaders of the people and read generally to the people. And then Jeremiah the prophet comes along and says, now keep the covenant. So we're going to start tonight in 2 Chronicles 34, read some of the backstory. Then we're going to read a little bit of Deuteronomy 28. I say a little bit because it's a really long chapter full of blessings and cursings and commands to keep the law. And that will give us enough background that we'll be able to read Jeremiah 11 and it will all make sense to us. So let's start tonight in 2 Chronicles 34 and we're going to read about uh, good King Josiah. 2 Chronicles 34, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. And they tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence. And the incense altars high above them he chopped down. Also the ashram and the carved images and the molten images he broke in pieces and ground to powder and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on those altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphtali in their surrounding ruins, he also tore down the altars and beat the ashram and the carved images into powder. And he chopped down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. And then he returned to Jerusalem. So he's a good king. He's trying to purge Jerusalem of their idol worship. Verse 8 tells us now in the 18th year of his reign. So we have a good sense of when this was that this occurred. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maasiah, an official of the city, and Joel, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, And delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim, and from all of the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they gave it into the hands of the workmen, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord used it to restore and repair the house." They, in turn, gave it to the carpenters and to the buildings to buy quarried stone and timber for couplings and to make beams for the house, 
which the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. And the men did the work faithfully, with foremen over them to supervise, Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites, the son of Merari, Zechariah and Meshulam, the sons of the Kohathites and the Levites, all who were skillful with musical instruments. And they were also over the burden bearers, and they supervised all the workmen from job to job, and some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. Verse 14, when they were bringing out the money which they had brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah responded and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Then Shaphan brought the book to the king and reported further word to the king, saying, everything that was entrusted to your servants, they are doing. And they have also emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hands of the supervisors and the workmen. And moreover, Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah the king gave me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And it came about when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes, a sign of repentance and remorse. And then the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me. And for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book which has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So apparently in reading out the law, what Josiah really honed in on was the law includes these promises of curses if we don't keep the law and we haven't been keeping the law and that's why all this is happening to us. That's why your house is in disrepair. That's why the people are chasing after their other gods. This all falls under the curse of God. So he asks for his servants to go and inquire of God to see what should be done. So, verse 22. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had told went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, son of Tokath, and son of Hasra, the keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her regarding this. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. Behold, I am bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants. Even all the curses written in the book which they have read in the presence of the king, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to the other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you will say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender 
And you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, so that your eye will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the house of the Lord. And all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people from the greatest to the least. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant written in the book. Moreover, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah removed all the abominations from all the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. Now, as you continue through the Chronicles, what you find out is once Josiah died, then God started doing these things that he said he was going to allow Josiah to die so that he didn't have to witness all that evil. And so even though Josiah was a good king and attempted to reform Israel and bring them back to God, nevertheless, once (coughs) Josiah was gone, you see Judah continue to fall into their ways of apostasy. Okay, so that's kind of background for what we're going to read in Jeremiah 11, which is going to start with, now keep all the words of the covenant. If we had just started there, you'd wonder, well, what covenant is he talking about? Which is the very one that happened here where Josiah made sure that all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least, all heard the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in the book, Now Jeremiah, who is alive at that very time, is going to say, do what you said you're going to do. Keep that covenant you just heard about. Now, before we start reading there, let's go back to Deuteronomy 28 for just a moment and take a look at what that law does say and the blessings and cursings that are inherent to that law so that you get some sense of why Josiah would hear it, tear his clothes, and repent before God because he understood and believed in a God who would do exactly what we're reading here. The first part of chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy says, Now it shall be, If you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. 
And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be your offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise up against you and be defeated before you. And they will come out against you one way and they will flee from you seven ways. And the Lord will command the blessings upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to. And he will bless you and the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore to you. If you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So it begins with a a great promise. Just keep my commandments. Just do what I'm telling you. And I'll make you the greatest nation on earth. I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. I won't let your enemies get you. And everything you do, everything you touch, I'm going to bless it. There's going to be great abundance among you. But starting at verse 15, he says, But it shall come about, if you will not obey the Lord your God to observe to do his commandments and his statutes, with which I charge you today, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be your offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. And the Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. And the Lord will make a pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you are entering in to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with the sword and with blight and with mildew. And they will pursue you until you perish. And the heaven which is over your head shall be bronze. And the earth below you shall be iron. And the Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it shall not come down until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. And you shall go out one way against them. And you shall flee seven ways before them. And you shall be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your carcasses shall be food for the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. And the Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and with the scab and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. And the Lord will smite you with madness and with blindness and with bewilderment of heart. And you shall grope at noon as a blind man gropes in the darkness. And you shall not prosper in your ways, but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. You shall betroth the wife, but another man will violate her. You shall build a house, but you shall not live in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but you will not use its fruits. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat it. Your donkey shall be torn away from you. And shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies. And you shall have none to save you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. While your eyes look on and yearn for them continually. But there will be nothing that you can do. 
a people whom you do not know, shall eat up the produce of your ground and all your labors, and you shall never be anything but oppressed and crushed continually. And you shall be driven mad by the sights that you see. And the Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with sore boils from which you cannot be healed. From the sole of your foot to the crown of your head, the Lord will bring you and your king, whom you shall set over you, to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a taunt among all the people where the Lord will drive you. And you shall bring out much seed to the field, but you will gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. And you shall plant and cultivate vineyards, but you shall neither drink of the wine, neither gather the grapes, for the worm will devour them. And you shall have olive trees throughout your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the olive oil, for the olives will drop off you and your sons and your daughters, but they shall not be yours. You shall have sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. And the cricket will possess all of your trees and the produce of your ground. And the alien who is among you shall rise up higher and higher, but you shall go down lower and lower. And he shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. So all these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. And they shall become a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart. For the abundance of all things, and therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord shall send against you, in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in lack of all things. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, who shall have no respect for the old nor show favor to the young. And moreover, it shall eat the offspring of your herd and the produce of your ground until you are destroyed, who also leaves you no grain, no wine, and no oil, nor the increase of your herd, nor the young of your flock, until they have caused you to perish. And it shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout the land, And it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given you. Boy, this list of curses seems a lot longer than the list of blessings, doesn't it? God is real serious about do this or I'll hurt you and I'll hurt you bad. You get some sense of why when Josiah heard this, he would go, "Uh oh, we haven't been doing that. We haven't been keeping that covenant, which is why Josiah would make sure to read this to all the people. And then would form a covenant with God and say, we will do this. We will follow after your law because he was afraid that these things were going to happen to them. God in mercy said to him, I'm going to let you die. I'm going to gather you to your people before I do all this so that you don't have to see it. But I'm going to do it. It's right in God's word. A faithful God, a faithful sovereign God, if Israel follows his law, He's going to bless them abundantly. And if they don't follow the law, he's going to hurt them and hurt them and hurt them. Yes, ma'am. 
So when you say follow the law, are you talking about the Ten Commandments or are you including that 613? I'm talking about the whole deal. The whole thing. Yeah, because it also included all of the laws of the temple and all of the laws of the sacrifices and all the laws of the Levites. So the whole thing. So 613. Yeah. Okay. It's a big responsibility. Yeah, now this chapter continues on, starting at verse 58. If you're not careful to observe all the words of this law, which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sicknesses. And he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. And also every sickness and every plague which, not written in the book of this law, the Lord will bring on you until you are destroyed. And then you shall be left few in number, whereas you were like the stars of heaven for multitude, because you did not obey the Lord your God. And it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. And you shall be torn from the land where you were entering to possess it. And moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples, all the Gentiles, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you and your fathers have not known. And among those nations you shall find no rest, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your feet. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and despair of soul. So your life will hang in doubt before you. And you shall be in dread night and day, and you shall have no reassurance in your life. In the morning you shall say, would that it were the evening. And in the evening you will say, would that it were the morning. Because of the dread of your heart which you dread. And for the sight of your eyes which you shall see. And the Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships. By the way about which I spoke to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall... Offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. Okay, so in the law, in the original covenant that was made through Moses as an intermediary with the children of Israel, God both told them, if you do well, I'll bless you. And he also told them, if you don't follow my law, I will curse you and curse you and curse you. So now Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 11, can say, you've made a covenant, you've made an agreement, you stood before King Josiah and you made a covenant with God, and now you're going back to your old ways again. Even though Josiah did tear down the idols, even though he did clean up the temple, even though he did attempt to reform Judah, they were so stiff in their hearts that they went back to their old ways yet again, which is why Jeremiah is sent to them to say, you made a covenant and you got to keep it or God's really going to hurt you. Okay, that technically was all introduction. And now we're at Jeremiah 11. And the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord 
That's the sentence construction that tells you that he's beginning yet another message. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not heed the words of this covenant. Yeah, that's why we read all that. God has already said, if you don't keep my covenant, I will curse you. So now Jeremiah reminds them that thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, cursed is the man who does not heed the words of this covenant, which I commanded your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, listen to my voice and do according to all which I command you, so that you shall be my people and I will be your God. In order to confirm the oath which I swore to your forefathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. And then I answered and said, Amen, O Lord. What else are you going to say? Jeremiah just amened God the same way that Abraham did. He just said, you know, you're God, so whatever you say goes. And whatever you say is what's good for you. And all I can say is, I agree. Amen. Do what you said you're going to do. Verse 6, and the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers in the day that I brought them up from the land of Egypt, even until this day, saying persistently and saying, listen to my voice. And yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but they walked, each one in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought on them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but they did not. So is God right to punish them Mm -hmm. under these circumstances? He told them up front what the deal was. When he brought them out of Egypt, he told them what the deal was. King Josiah found a copy of the law, read it to them yet again to remind them, this is the covenant with God, and faithful God is going to be faithful to his word, And had they been loyal to him, he would have blessed them. He said he would have. But if they followed after other gods, not only was he going to punish them with all kinds of sicknesses and destruction and famines and blights, but he was also going to have a nation come down on them who spoke a language they didn't know, who were going to take them into captivity, and they were going to be kept among Gentile nations. And so God is going to do exactly that. He's about to bring Babylon down on them. And if you just look at that out of its larger historic context, it almost seems like God is being mean to his people. What God is being is faithful to his word. Now, on one hand, looking at Israel and Judah and what they suffered under God's hand, on one hand, you could say, well, yeah, but the faithfulness of God really hurt these people. Well, yeah, but isn't it good to know that God is going to be faithful to his word no matter what? 
because this is the same God who promised you salvation through the finished work of his son despite you. So no matter what, he's going to be faithful to you the same way that no matter what, he was going to be faithful to his word even in punishing Israel and scattering Judah. So you can look at it one of two ways. You can say God is faithful and that's bad news. And in some ways it is. To all the people he's going to condemn, his faithfulness is really bad news. But his faithfulness to his own word and his own promises is really good news to all of those of us who have promises of salvation from him. So I like the faithfulness of God, but it's also good to know that in his faithfulness, he is a God of judgment and he is a God of wrath. And through Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from wrath. But you have to know that God is perfectly willing to pour out wrath, perfectly willing to show his justice and to punish his enemies. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to me, a conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned their back to the iniquities of their ancestors who refuse to hear my words, and they have gone after other gods to serve them. And the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am bringing disaster on them, which they will not be able to escape, though they will cry to me, yet I will not listen to them. And then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they burn incense, but they surely will not save them in the time of their disaster. For your gods are as many as the cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars that you have set up to these shameful things, altars to burn incense to Baal. And then God gives a really interesting instruction to Jeremiah. Because God is determined to do this, and because they have broken his covenant and deserve his wrath, he then tells Jeremiah, and don't you pray for them. Don't you try to intercede for them. Don't get between me and them. Therefore, do not pray for this people. Do not lift up a cry or a prayer for them. For I will not listen when they call to me because of their disaster. What right has my beloved? So interesting. Why is God punishing Judah? Is it because he hates them? No, he still calls them my beloved. He has still chosen them. He has still put his everlasting love on them. He is punishing them to correct them because he has revealed himself to them and they have turned away from him and gone back to the idols that their fathers went back to. And he says, therefore, yet again, I'm going to refine them. I'm going to teach them. And he's not doing it because he hates them. He's doing it because he loves them. Jeff, you've raised four kids. Did you ever have to punish them? Yeah. Did you punish them because you hated them? No, because you loved them. That's what a father's love does. It corrects its children. 
And so God here, even in the midst of pouring out this wrath, all these curses that he has promised to bring on them, that he is faithfully bringing to them, nevertheless calls them my beloved. It's, it's incredible, the faithfulness of God, both in bringing the punishment and in continuing to love the ones that he chose. That's a remarkable God. Mm-hmm. What right has my beloved in my house? When she has done many vile deeds, can the sacrificial flesh take away from you your disaster so that you can rejoice? He's saying, are all the animals you're bringing in and sacrificing in the temple, is that enough to make up for the fact that you have broken my law and I have promised you curses? Your sacrificial flesh cannot take away that disaster so that then you can party So that then you can rejoice and go, yay, we got God to not hurt us, even though he promised to. The Lord called your name, a green olive tree, beautiful in fruit and in form. And with the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled a fire on it, and its branches are worthless. For the Lord of hosts, who planted you, has pronounced evil against you. Because of the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done to provoke me by offering up sacrifices to Baal. In verse 18, we're going to get to the first bit of narrative now in the book of Jeremiah. Because the first place that he preached that message that God gave him was in his own hometown, of course. And the men of the hometown, when they heard it, were so grateful to hear this that they said, thank you, Jeremiah, and they threw him a party. No, actually, they plotted together to kill him because he was bringing them bad news, and people don't like to hear bad news. They certainly don't like to hear it when you say, you know, God is against you. You know, God is going to judge you. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in our society right now that we could apply that to, where we know that people are just going their own errant ways. The word of God clearly said, don't do it. They're doing it. And if we say to them, as Christian people, as Bible-believing people, if we say to them, you know, God's going to judge you for that, what do they do? They hate you. They block you. They cancel you. They want to kill you. Because if they can just kill the messenger, they think they've killed the message. Well, that's what they're plotting against Jeremiah, starting in verse 18. I know it's warm, but I'm nearly done. Moreover, the Lord made it known to me, and I knew it. And then thou didst show me their deeds. God did reveal to Jeremiah all the evil that the people of Judah were doing. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. And I did not know that they had devised plots against me, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. Because they thought if they could just get rid of Jeremiah, then they could get rid of the message of the curses to come that Jeremiah was preaching, which is just so foolish because if that message actually came from God 
And since God had already told them in his law what he was going to do, by wanting to kill the prophet of God, they were essentially denying the faithfulness of God who had made that covenant with them in the first place. So even if you could kill the prophet, but you may recall at the very beginning of God's relationship with Jeremiah, he told them, they're going to resist you, they're going to hate you, but I'm going to give you a hard head. I'm going to make you go out there and say this message to them, and don't be afraid of them. Go say it anyway. Well, they're plotting to kill him so that his name would be remembered no more. But, verse 20, but, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tries the feelings and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For to thee I have committed my cause. So Jeremiah now prays. A minute ago he was told, don't pray for them. Interestingly here, he prays against them. Instead of praying that God would preserve them, he says, God, just just kill them. Just cut them off. Protect me and let me see your vengeance on them. Verse 21, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth. Where's Jeremiah from? Anathoth. Okay, so these are the men of his own hometown. Naturally, he would begin spreading that message in his own hometown. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life, saying, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord that you might not die at our hand. That's what they were saying to Jeremiah. They were saying, stop this prophesying in the name of the Lord. Otherwise, we're going to kill you. We're personally going to do it. So do not prophesy in the name of the Lord so that you might not die at our hands. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am about to punish them. The young men will die by the sword. Their sons and daughters will die by famine. And a remnant will not be left to them. And I will bring disaster on the men of Anathoth. I will bring the year of their punishment. So things are really ramping up. Jeremiah now for for six years has been going out saying these messages from God exactly as God has told him to do. And the people have reacted the way people continue to react. They want to stop the messenger. They want to kill Jeremiah. But all God is doing in the big picture, and that's why we read so much stuff tonight, the big picture is God told them at the beginning, this is what I'm like. This is what I command. This is what I expect. At Mount Sinai, everybody that was gathered there said, all that the Lord has said, we're going to do. And then when Josiah rediscovered the law and then read it to the people, they again made a covenant. All that the Lord said, we're going to do it. We're going to follow the command of God. Jeremiah then says, You said you were going to do it. Just do it. Keep your covenant because God has said, because you and your forefathers have broken his covenant repeatedly, and because you keep going back and worshiping these gods of stone and wood that aren't gods at all, for that reason, God is going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. How do you not know that? It's been read to you, and it was part of an agreement that you made. So God is just simply being faithful to his own word, And he's going to punish Israel. And all of that, really, those first 10 verses are really just kind of 
introducing us to the situation that Jeremiah finds himself in that we're going to read about through the whole rest of the book. And that is why, I'm going to say it one more time, and we'll call it a night, that is why it's so remarkable that in this very same book, it started out with God saying to Jeremiah that through Jeremiah, through his word through Jeremiah, that he was going to tear down and he was going to root up, but that he was also going to plant and that he was also going to build. Because faithful God, who could refer to these sinful, depraved people as still his beloved, is also going to promise them a new covenant whereby they're going to be saved. It's a really remarkable, faithful God who is faithful in correcting his people and faithful in saving his people. And that's a God you can trust. Mm-hmm. Questions, comments, feedback? It just amazes me everything that they had gone through in the history that they already recognized, that they would go and They'd do still that. go and do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is remarkable, but it shows you, Jewel, it shows you that if God does not change your heart, if you are not regenerated, you'll be just like that. No matter how many times God shows you the truth, you won't be able to receive it. You won't be able to respond to it. Because men by nature are sinful and hard-hearted. Which is why God faithfully sent his Holy Spirit to change his people. That's why you need to be born again. He's very patient. He's very patient. All right. listening to this week's Salvation by Grace midweek message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.